0: Well, tonight, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew 11. We're going to pick up where we left off last time. We're going through the book of Matthew verse by verse. You know, some people say, uh, you know, I don't really like topical sermons. I like uh, the exegesis of a sermon that goes verse by verse. Well, every Sunday night, all year round, we go verse by verse. And so uh, I'm glad that you're here tonight as we study the Lord's word together. Uh, verse, uh, two, uh, start there. And when John in prison heard the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to Jesus, are you the expected one or shall we look for somebody else? He's asking, basically, he's saying, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that, uh, Uh, We have been praying for and looking toward. Now, I want you to remember who's saying this. This is John the Baptist, who is what Jesus called the finest man ever born of woman. Now, think who all that includes. That includes Abraham, Moses. I mean, you go down the list. John the Baptist was the finest man ever born of woman. And he is having some questions in his mind, some doubts about what's going on. Tonight, I wanted to say right up front, you know, if we're honest, all of us have doubts about some things every once in a while. Uh, I, I know that uh, all of us uh, realize that Christ is our Savior and we don't doubt that. But we might have a little question over here and a little question over there. And things that we wonder about, I've had a lot of people uh, talk to me in private uh, through my life about things that they doubted. Well, tonight, I want to address that kind of head on. Um, this is a, a text uh, that we can talk about. And uh, I want to give you the reasons why uh, we think John the Baptist had some doubts in his heart. It should be reassuring to us that even a man of John's spiritual Uh, stature, and gifts was subject to doubt. Uh, From the text, from John's situation, there are at least four reasons uh, for his doubt that we can obviously notice, and I want to go uh, through these with you tonight. The first one is difficult circumstances. Humanly speaking, the career of John the Baptist was a dismal uh, failure, Uh, He had been that fiery, independent, dramatic, confrontational, courageous man. Uh, He preached exactly what needed to be preached, to whom it needed to be preached, and when it needed to be preached. He did all that. He was fearless, he was aggressive, and he was faithful to the Lord in every single way. And now, he is in prison because of his faithfulness. I don't mean uh, a prison like you have seen on TV. I'm talking about a hole in the ground with an iron grate over the top of it. He was there uh, for about a year and a half before he was beheaded. So, I mean, you talk about uh, very, very common uh, situations in a a lowly existence. It couldn't have gotten much worse. On a trip to Rome, Herod, who was the governor of Galilee, uh, took a, a liking to Herodias, who was the wife of his brother Philip. He seduced her. He returned to Galilee, and Herod divorced his own wife and married Herodias. When John the Baptist heard about that, he went right straight to Herod with his sin and and preached to him about it, said how wrong it was, how much uh, he had sinned uh, in this situation. He was promptly thrown into prison. Only Herod's fear of the multitudes, we feel like, Uh, was the reason that he wasn't killed right on the spot. You know, Herod could have said, kill him, and they would have killed him right that minute, right there. But the people loved him. You remember in the Bible it says that everybody went out to hear him. Uh, Thousands of people had gone out. Their lives had been changed. They had repented. uh, They had drawn close to the Lord. And, of course, Herod knew all of that. So uh, he didn't have him killed right away. Uh, he was placed in a dark, stifling dungeon uh, that was basically just a hole in the ground. He had been in prison for perhaps a year when he sent two of his disciples to Jesus. John was a true saint, a true prophet of God. He was loyal, he was holy, he was selfless, he was unreserved in his service to the Lord. He had done in every instance exactly what what God had asked him to do. But his life uh, was very, very difficult. He had lived under a Nazarite vow, which is the highest vow of dedication that a Jewish man could take. He was very, very religious. Now he could not help but wondering, he was in prison. He was in shame. He was in hunger. He was in physical abuse and torment. He was in perplexity, and he was in loneliness. Somebody standing on the outside would say his life was a dismal failure. Of course, uh, it wasn't with the Lord. The Lord loved him, and the Lord wanted to put him up. He was not getting any rewards at this particular time. In our text, if Jesus were truly the the Messiah, why didn't he let the forerunner, John the Baptist was the forerunner to the Christ and suffering servant, why did he let him just suffer in prison? Where was God's love and compassion, not to mention his justice? Why didn't God just reach down and change the situation? and make everything fine for John the Baptist. When a believer has faithfully and sacrificially served the Lord for many, many years, then they experience tragedy, perhaps even a series of tragedies. It's not too difficult to wonder about God's loyalty and justice to us. Don't raise your hand. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? I've been there, I bet you have. You know, we're trying to figure it out. We say, Lord, I don't know how all this is going, but I wish you'd reach down and help me with the death of my son, the death of my daughter, the death of my parent, the terrible disease that is afflicting my body uh, with the financial uh, collapse of uh, my resources with this, with that. When a child is lost to death or to unbelief, a husband or a wife walks out the door, cancer strikes, we're tempted to say, God, where are you when I really need you? And I need you right now. Where are you? You have to let this happen to me. That's what John the Baptist is saying. These are difficult circumstances. Except for when we willfully continue to sin, we are never so vulnerable to doubting God's goodness as when we are suffering, when we're having a real hard time in our life. John knew where to go to find the answers to his questions, and he sent two of those that had been his disciples to to, uh, talk to Jesus. He had begun to have doubts about Jesus' identity as the Christ. It was to Jesus that he sent the disciples for confirmation that he needed. In his mind, he had perhaps been crying, Lord, why don't you help me? But now it had gone even beyond that. Now he was saying, Lord, please help me. It was down to that point. In his great love and mercy, Jesus reached out, glad to respond, performing miracles, especially the scripture says, for John's sake, for John's sake and promising him spiritual blessing. If he did not waver in his faith, negative circumstances are very, very painful and trying, but our response when that happens to us should be the same as John the Baptist was going to the Lord and asking him to quell our doubts, our anxieties and our fears. And the Lord can do that. We need to go to Him, not to the person that lives next door, uh, not to, you know, some book at the drugstore, uh, but we need to go to the Lord and say, Lord, help me, help me through this. The second thing is incomplete revelation. This is the second major cause of doubt. Incomplete revelation. Revelation, although John had heard about the works of Christ, everything that he had heard was secondhand. He had not been there. He had not seen what Jesus was doing. Do you realize that after the baptism event, when John the Baptist baptized Jesus in the river Jordan, John the Baptist never saw him again, never saw him again. He had no direct contact. With the Lord, he was not an eyewitness to his majesty. He heard a lot about it, but he had not seen it. He had not been there. You know, Peter, James, and John, they had all been there. They'd all seen all of that. They'd been with Jesus when he had done all those miraculous and wonderful things. All those folks were healed. All those situations were, uh, quelled, uh, all the great rhetorical skill of, of our Lord, uh, Came to the forefront as he defeated the Pharisees and the scribes in debates and in arguments. They they'd been sitting there when all that happened, but John the Baptist wasn't there. He hadn't seen any of it first time, firsthand. The information that John's disciples brought back to him was still not firsthand. But they came back, and their report was uh, confirming demonstrations of divine power. They said to John the Baptist, listen, nobody can do this, what he's doing but the Messiah. He must be the Messiah. Many believers today also doubt certain truths about God because of incomplete information. I don't know if any of you grew up in a place where the name of God was only used in cursing but there was never a Bible at your house. The Gideons uh, had never been there. Uh, you had never gotten a Gideon Bible, that's for sure. And everything that you knew was kind of a kill or be killed mentality. Steal or go hungry. Cheat, lie, or not have anything. If you grew up in a situation like that, then you had incomplete revelations. And you didn't have enough quality facts upon which to uh, build a faith response. You just didn't have it. Many believers today uh, doubt things because of inadequate knowledge. They just don't have the facts. Inadequate understanding. The Christian who is immersed in scripture has no reason to stumble you know today we have something that john the baptist didn't have we have the new testament and we can just open it up and start reading and find the answers spiritually theologically to all the questions that we might have they're right there all we need to do is is study uh, the word and our doubt vanishes we all need to con- the continual truth of his word to protect us from doubt and to dispel doubt when it comes. The Bereans were noble-minded, and they received the word of God with great eagerness because they daily studied the word of God. And, of course, uh, they wanted to know if the things of, that Paul was saying were true, and, and they found out they were true. You know their questions were answered. Now the third thing is worldly influence. You know I I don't know uh, how bad it's going to be. It seems like there's no end to how bad things are going to be. All of these actors and actresses uh, when they are out on the speaking tour they curse a lot and say a lot of terrible things and. Uh, Of course, they're changing mates every year or so, and, uh, you know, the person that shows the most flesh is the one that gets the headline, and so they're all in a race to be totally naked. And, uh, you know, it's just unbelievable what our society is coming to, what television is coming to. Uh, There's been a dramatic change. We uh, watched uh, one uh, program for a number of years, and then all of a sudden this year, they're allowed to curse on that uh, uh, program, whereas they had never done that before. So we we just stopped watching it. Well, uh, that's the worldly influence. What Jesus was preaching and what Jesus was doing did not square with what the people of that day thought. The public opinion was not Jesus' opinion. Uh, John was completely uh, open to what the world was saying because it was just the world that was around him in that prison. You know, he would ask questions. They'd give him worldly advice, what was happening in the world. The expected one, uh, that would be the Messiah, Uh, probably... Uh, John heard all sorts of things, reasons as to why Jesus was not the Messiah, reasons as to why uh, these miracles that uh, he was doing were just tricks, just a sleight of hand, reasons why uh, he was born in that area and they all knew his family so he couldn't be the son of God. That was crazy. That was ridiculous. That couldn't possibly be true. That's the wisdom of the world. The Messiah was expected, first of all, to free Israel from all Roman bondage, to set up an earthly kingdom, to kill all those soldiers, to take over, to have an earthly domain uh, where he was in charge. He obviously could not establish his own kingdom of justice and righteousness without first dealing with those pagan Cruel Romans. And so, uh, you know, the, the world was saying, well, he didn't do that. So he must not be anything special. He must not be the Messiah because he didn't do that. And that's what everybody expected the Messiah to do. But Jesus had done nothing to oppose Rome, either in words or in action. The Jewish people also thought the Messiah would eliminate all suffering, all disease, all affliction, all hunger, all pain. When Jesus came, it would just be a totally different world. And they all thought that. They all believed that. And, of course, that's not what Jesus came to do. And Jesus kept telling him, telling them over and over again what he came to do. And they, they just couldn't hear it. The words were coming out of Jesus' mouth, but they were not going into the disciples' minds. Many Jews probably envisioned some type of welfare state in which their material needs would be provided for them. They expected health and wealth and instant happiness. And you remember that time when Jesus on the other side of the Sea of Galilee He was out there, and it was getting toward night, and nobody had any food, and so Jesus made all that food for everybody. You remember that? They wanted to crown him king right then because that's what they expected him to do, that kind of thing. And when he did it on that particular occasion, they said, well, he's the Messiah. He's the king. Let's crown him right now. But Jesus said no. John the Baptist knew that Jesus refused to be made king. He knew that Jesus had done nothing to change either the pagan, brutal, political, or military system of Rome. Sin was rampant. Injustice was still the rule. Political and religious corruption was the norm. And everybody wondered, well, if he's the Messiah, why haven't those things been taken care of? Why haven't those things been changed, deleted, obscured, done away with? Jesus' own disciples were continually fighting doubts about Jesus because he did not fit their preconceived ideas. They thought it was going to be this, and it was that. Even after the resurrection, they still expected him to set up his earthly kingdom. And he didn't do it. He didn't uh, have him make some chariots and get some spears and some swords. He didn't do it. People today, including some believers, are confused and perplexed about the plan of God for the very same reason that they were way, way back then. Their minds are so full of the ideas of people around them that they fail to understand God's plan when it's right there in the scripture before them. I want to confess tonight, I wish God would do something about these Muslims. I really do. I have prayed that God would strike them, make them all sterile. I don't know. What, uh, whatever, but something strong. Something powerful that they'd know that God was in charge. I've prayed for that. I really have. I'm serious. Jesus came to be a suffering servant, not a genie and not a military ruler. The fourth uh, reasons uh, for the doubt and so many were unfulfilled expectations The fact that John instructed his disciples to ask, are you the one or should we look for somebody else? Shows that his preconceived ideas were certainly not uh, fulfilled. It's always been hard for believers to understand why God allows so many of his children to suffer. And allows so many wicked and ungodly people to prosper. It was undoubtedly hard for John the Baptist, who was sitting in a hole in the ground, after serving the Lord as best he could the whole time. He had been faithful to the nth degree, and here he's in a hole, and these uh, crooks, thieves, murderers, they're running everything. If you still have your Bible open, look at verse 4. And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John. This is John the Baptist. What you hear and see, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who keeps from stumbling over me. Jesus didn't answer uh, John's question with a simple yes or no. He didn't say, well, go back and tell him. Uh, that I am the Messiah. He didn't say that. He said go back. And tell him what I'm doing. And he had this list. Uh, the blind. Receive sight. Nobody had ever done that before. The lame are walking. They just get up and walk. After being crippled all their life. He's healing leprosy. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf instantaneously can hear. The dead are being raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. See, those things hadn't happened. Those things had not happened. Although Jesus did nothing to relieve John's physical confinement and suffering, he did send back to him a confirmation of who he was and what he was doing and indeed performing the messianic works that the prophets had foretold. John's circumstance did not improve. In fact, it wasn't much later than this when he was beheaded. Herodias wanted him dead because of what he had said, and so they killed him. It's safe to assume that Jesus' response was more than enough to encourage John to renew his faith and his confidence. So as he passed from this life into glory, he knew who was his Lord and who was his Savior. If we read the New Testament, our faith is strengthened as we claim the promises of Scripture. It's like we can rise up with wings of eagles and fly over all the earth. The scripture is is our resource. The Holy Spirit leads our hearts and our minds, our souls. If we put those things together, we can overcome, as John the Baptist did, the doubt that besets us. Tonight, there might be somebody in the house that has had a lot of doubt. I hope tonight that this sermon has helped you to move beyond doubt to belief. Tonight, if you're here in the house and you'd like to trust in Christ, we certainly want you to do it. There would never be a better time to do it than right now. If you're here in the house tonight and you'd like to come and join our church, uh, we'd certainly love to have you do that. We always are praying that folks would uh, come out of the grandstands and come down into the playing field. And become actively involved in the ministry of the church. You know, that's the way that we accomplish things, that we do things as we work together, as we serve the Lord as a team. And certainly we need more team members. We hope that you'll come and join with us and serve with us. We're going to stand in just a moment. I'm going to be right down here. If the Lord leads you, you just slip out and come forward. Let's stand and sing together.